Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We're back in Dallas. We both got haircuts. We are ready to fire up a All video. Right. Mine was professionally done. Jeff does it himself. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, excited. New York was a lot of fun. Um, I was just excited to leave as I was to arrive. Um, we were there for about a week, but it, yes. was, a, it was a very productive week uh, for the fund launch um, uh, January 1st, 2020. So it was, uh, it was a good week. Um, in today's video, we are going to be going over a bunch of stocks that people want us to do our snap judgments on. So we're going to spend a couple minutes on them. Uh, people tweeted a bunch of different tickers to us, producing we're just going to go over them. Um, majority of these companies are not overlooked, um, but uh, I thought it would be fun for us to engage a little bit with the uh, listeners to see if uh, you know we could answer some questions for them or just give our thoughts on it. Again, if you want to be able to do this in the future, follow me at Focus Compound. We are going to be doing these types of videos a lot more. Um, it adds a level of practicalness to the podcast, and we're definitely happy to be doing it. So the first stock that we are going to be going over is ticker F. O-N-R, uh, Phonar Corp. This is a company that we actually were just talking about the other mm-hmm. day. I was in a coffee shop in New York, and I was looking and reading the 10K and learning a little bit about it. A market cap, $133 million, currently trading around nine times earnings. EV to sales, 1.4. Um, and the 10-year median margins for EBIT spent around 18%. So that's right in our wheelhouse that we mm-hmm. like to see. Uh, 10-year Kager numbers look uh, pretty good. Revenue, 8.2%. Uh, we had $32 million of revenue in 2010. And in 2019, we have 87 million. Um, 10-year Kager in EPS has been about 27%. Um, and it's currently trading EV to free cash flow of 7.5 times. Uh, so definitely looks cheap, kind of from looking from a bird's eye view. Um, uh, from what we know about the company, they do something with MRIs and then also servicing <coughs> excuse me, doctor's offices. Right. Um, and this is a company that you've looked at before as well, correct? Yes. Uh, on the numbers, it looks great. So the prices and stuff are everything that we would want to see. And also, that's also true for the... Um, 10-year numbers here. So everything about it uh, quantitatively looks exactly like the sort of thing that we would want to buy. It also is um, in an industry that we're okay uh, with. Uh, It's a fairly predictable kind of industry over time, so that's something that we'd consider. I have three questions about this company, basically, and they're the reason why we don't, we haven't really dug very deeply into it. one, uh, it's an upright MRI company, and I don't know if upright MRI is superior to MRIs that are uh, normally the way that they're done. So it's, like in like stand-up MRI. Yeah, you're standing yeah. up. Uh, and I think that that may have been the original uh, way in which the, it was developed, um, and that uh, a different approach has won out in a big way. Uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be some doing that, but I wonder, because I can't evaluate the medical 
uh, reasons for it, whether there's other economic reasons or something why, why someone would pick that. Uh, if they have very few locations that use it, is it for billing reasons or are there um, uh, people who have some interest in wanting to uh, expand that technology? So I have concerns about that. Uh, to the family, uh, so the founder, I guess, is not, I don't think running day-to-day -day things. I think it's like a son or someone else like that. I don't remember all the details. Um, it was pretty vocal about some things uh, in the medical community and stuff, and so there's just some controversy around him in the sense that when I tried to do scuttlebutt on this company, all I got was people talking to me about uh, the founder of the company, basically. And so it became difficult to get unbiased scuttlebutt about the company. Maybe the company's gone in a totally different direction that it doesn't have anything to do with that. You know, and I should say also there wasn't it wasn't any you know ethical stuff or whatever. It wasn't things that would really concern me about investing in it. It was just that whenever you talked about the company, all that got brought up is um, controversies, like just medical controversies, controversies in terms of uh, basically credit for the invention of the MRI. Uh, to be completely honest, um, so I think this. Uh, that makes it very, very hard to get honest scuttlebutt about it. And then the other one is with the um, managing an office for someone, for a doctor. That's kind of like the ADP of doctor's offices, it seems like. from Again, I haven't really dug too much into it, but yeah. that's sort of the impression I got. So sometimes I have concerns with that sort of thing because I have invested in companies that would buy out someone, buy out uh, dentist offices in one case, and in another case, buy out hair salons. And in both cases, I felt that the seller to them had information um, that it was very easy for uh, shareholders to think that after something was taken over, it would perform as well or better than um, when it was being run, uh, everything in-house. So this isn't, they're not buying the offices completely, but uh, there could be reasons why the doctor basically wants to only be involved in providing medical care and not doing the other things. They may be slowing down and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, for those three reasons, it's something that I would look at, but I don't know how to get the answer to those three things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you're looking for a company from a bird's eye view of something that we'd probably be interested in just yeah. from the numbers alone. On our mat, it's yeah. everything from price to the 10-year performance yeah. of uh, financials, everything about totally. it. Yeah. Uh, next company, everyone knows this business, V, Visa, uh, $405 billion uh, market cap. It's currently trading about 35, um, excuse me, 33 times earnings, EBIT sales of 18 times, 10-year um, medium margins for EBITs around 61%, mm -hmm. uh, and then 10-year medium margins for free cash flow, 41%. A 10-year CAGR for revenue has been about 13%, and free cash flow has grown over the past 10 years about 60% per year. Uh, so what's interesting is looking in 2009, they did about 6.9 billion in revenue, and in 2018, they booked about 20.6 billion in revenue. So enormous returns for sure. Yeah, looks like a great business in every way. Um, it's too expensive for us because I would to buy something that expensive. I would have to know that it's future proof, basically. Yeah, and I wouldn't be able to know with Visa or Mastercard or American Express in terms of payment stuff that I know enough about what the future will be. I would suspect this company will do fine, and that it'll have great returns and all of the stuff quantitatively shows me that this is the kind of company that would have a tremendous moat. But I'm just not good enough about that. So it's the kind of thing where. Um, these prices are just, this, these are incredibly high prices to pay for a stock. So the only way they work out is if you know what the free cash flow will be in terms of durability. So you have to be able to, I mean, I'm not even talking about you need to know that it's doing well in 10 years. You need to know that in years 11 and beyond that this is still, you know, credit cards still working much, the and debit cards is still working much the same way that they do. Now, it's, it's just the price. The price makes it difficult um, for us to do that. So this is the kind of company that's probably a great company, probably will do well for um, people uh, investing in that stuff. But uh, for us, I just think that it's not uh, a price that we could ever pay for a company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. 
And obviously, it's uh, very much not overlooked. Correct. Very much. Okay, next company is ARK, and I'm trying to pull up a business description because uh, it looks like it trades in London. Um, uh, do, let's see okay. if we could go to Bloomberg. Or maybe... Are you sure that's a ticker, or do you think that they meant ARK? That's what I was saying. Is this ARK like restaurants or <laughs> A-R-K-A? But he put ARK, but... ARK the restaurant is A-R-K-R. Okay, A-R-K-R. Well, we could just talk about this one. Sorry if this is the wrong company. <laughs> no, ARK wonder... Restaurants Corp. Okay, but I mean, because the company's name is ARK. So yeah. I just wondered if that was meant as a ticker yeah. or meant... Yeah. Ticker A-R-K-R. Uh, currently trading 17 times earnings, $72 million market cap, EV to sales 0.6, 10-year median margins of EBIT about 5, 10-year uh, CAGR of revenue 2.5% per year going from 115 million in revenue in 2009 to about 160 million in 2018 free cash flow has grown um has a CAGR for the past 10 years about 3.4 percent um, but what's interesting is eps has a negative 3.8 percent CAGR so it's kind of yeah. interesting to see that but as for returns uh like return on equity 10-year median margins about 10 percent um probably a little low for us but um yeah and it's uh, ev to free cash flow 20 times so that's like what a five percent uh, free cash flow yield, and um, uh, price earnings seventeen times. I think I already said that, but yes. Okay, so I did a write up of this for Singular Diligence. So there's a whole newsletter uh, write up of it. Focuscompound.com. Use podcast uh, promo code to get ten dollars <laughs> off. All right, proceed. Uh, and uh, so it's like a ten thousand word report or something I wrote up. This is several years ago. Um, what's interesting about the company is if this is true, that's trading at twenty dollars and forty five cents. I think I wrote up. Pretty close to twenty two dollars a share. Um, the company Landry's, uh, which there's a bit, you know, the billionaire, um, uh, you know, owns a sports team and stuff. Yep. Owns that company, and uh, they made an offer. They made a hostile offer to take the company at twenty two dollars a share. Um, that was several years ago. Who knows? Uh, the other things are that Arc has sort of a um, a lottery ticket, I guess you could say, in the sense that it has an ownership stake and uh, also would get all the concessions business um, for uh, any development of gambling in uh, northern New Jersey and basically the Meadowlands. Um, So, which is one of the planned things. It was voted down. But it's one of the places where if you did put it, um, it would be really big. People have asked me how big would that be. It would be huge. I don't know if it would be like worth a lot more than the company's entire market cap is now or something. But it could be because a casino operation, a a gambling, a, a big gambling place in northern New Jersey accessible to New York would be the dominant, uh, thing. It would, it would be a huge, um, sort of money maker and stuff. So to have the, partial ownership of that and then also to have concessions the ability to um, get all the food and beverage stuff for that except for i think they're part they partner with hard rock and hard rock can can carve out a hard rock um cafe and, and things like that there but um you know it the business doesn't grow over time because their leases expire eventually and they aren't able to renew them at each place the way they want it operates a bunch of large format uh, restaurants including at some places we weren't far from it operates some at museums some at parks uh some at all sorts of different things uh tra- there was a train station one they had for a while um it, you know it the problem is that over time it doesn't grow at all so you can't afford to pay too high a price for it if the evd bidon stuff here is true then i would avoid it at today's prices i don't think there's a lot of downside to this stock but i don't know that there's a lot of uh upside unless you get those things happening um if ever there was gambling in the meadowlands then what their ownership that they have is a big part of it got it next company uh bbw build a bear workshop 
uh, currently has a market cap of $43 million. Uh, EV to sales is 0.1. They have a 10-year median margin EBIT of negative 0.7%. Revenue, pretty much all down across the board. Uh, we got negative uh, 3.2 Kager in um, revenue returns from return on equity and return on invested capital is all negative. We got negative 1.2 median returns for return on equity, free cash flow, negative 18 uh, times. So it's cheap. Yeah. Uh, so if the EVO sales number that I'm seeing is right, 0.1 times. Do you actually think this business though can exist in, you know, 15 years? Yeah. It, I mean, with like the, I guess the, uh, downturn of like malls and retail and everything because obviously mm -hmm. they're all in malls and stuff like that yeah they're all in malls yeah i think it can sure uh the, the issue here is just it's a turnaround so without studying management stuff like that i can't tell um if i look at what the historical gross uh, profit margin has been and things like that uh and what it is now basically that's sufficient that if you could turn around your operations you'd be making a lot of money versus the market cap. i mean just to give you an idea here what was their peak operating profit number in terms of millions it's right there 2014 is that it or 2015 yeah 18 million in 18 million and what's the market cap now 43 yeah so if it can be turned around it can be making as much now uh it, it can make its market cap back in a few years it's similar to like we talked about tandy before and people ask me about that if tandy can turn itself around it'll be a big success if not it won't be i feel the same way about both of them i don't think the problem is the build a bear concept i don't think tandy's problem is the concept i think it's execution mm -hmm. um they probably open too many stores build a bear so got it got it got it got it let's see next company crws crown crafts inc uh, currently trading at a market cap of 75 million pe about 13 times ev to sales 0.9 10 year median margins ebit uh, about 10 percent so obviously we like to see that return on equity return on invested capital numbers look uh, okay uh, look pretty predictable uh, we get a 10-year median margin of 15 percent both for return on equity and return on invested capital currently trading at about nine times free cash flow on enterprise value basis and revenue has a 10-year kager of negative 1.3 percent uh, going from 86 million in 2010 to about 76 million in 2019 yeah uh, so crown crafts has extreme concentration what do um, they do uh, they sell baby stuff uh, basically baby bedding um what uh what do you call those things um <laughs> bibs bibs i got it, got it. i still use a bib yeah. Stuff. yeah um so it's a bunch of that sort of things through brands that maybe parents know what they are but i don't know what they are in um walmart and so it's a scale type thing you buy everything from the uh from east asia somewhere and then you ship it into the uh, u.s and sell it through uh walmart basically and you can see that scale stuff on here in terms of the gross profit margins pretty low um but stable and even margins pretty high and stable and the gap between gross profit and EBIT is very low suggesting that they probably have a lot of economies of scale purchasing from who they choose to purchase from and selling through Walmart by consolidating the account basically Walmart probably gets lower prices by buying so much from Crown Crafts um, and there are other companies and I shouldn't just say Walmart like what is it uh, what's the uh, retailer Bye Bye Baby is yeah. that the one yep, yeah yep, things yep. like that so they're where they sell a lot of these they basically concentrate through them so this is kind of like a middleman I mean they have brands but really the economics of it are being a middleman of um, of being a very concentrated vendor for these um, uh, retailers and so you get lower prices on that than they otherwise would um, and they're not going to do it themselves right so that's the 
situation there. Um, yeah. Obviously, growth, real growth in the U.S. is basically nothing because you're not going to have more babies being born over time, really. Either it's going to be extremely flat. And um, I don't know that there's any pricing power in something where your business model is basically trying to get really low prices to things like Walmart and stuff. It seems very safe to me. Uh, and it seems like if you bought it at a low enough price, you'd be fine. If we look at things like EV to free cash flow, we're talking about you'd have like an 11% free cash flow yield, I yeah. think, on that. 11% mm -hmm. free cash flow yield is sufficient. So uh, we look at the 10-year margin. The 10 -year I wonder margin, what the, if they have a dividend. Uh, I think they'd have to have a very big dividend, mm -hmm. actually, unless they're buying back their stock from the numbers that we saw, because otherwise they would build up. Um, yeah, 4.25 for okay. yield. Yeah. So uh, if it trades at like around 10 times free cash flow or less, you could buy it just on that basis to collect things like the dividend. Um, you're taking some risk, though, and so I'd want to be a little bit careful about that. Uh, it's basically a no-growth type coupon. It might be a real coupon, maybe. Um, so if you're willing to buy something for that dividend yield, um, then that's fine. But it might be safe to think of it in the same way as like a bond or something. I would get interested at prices that are below. So the free cash flow margin here is like 9 to 10% has been the average. Yep. So on that basis, I would want to pay between 0 0.9 and 1 times EV to sales. So I definitely wouldn't look at the stock at all if it trades above 1 times sales. Uh, I would look at it at other sorts of prices. It, it seems kind of cheap for what it is. Uh, for today's market, it does seem cheap to me. Uh, but I, I just would look at it as buying it like a bond. Got That's it. That's really all that it is. Yeah. Next stock, HIBB, Hibet Sports. Mm -hmm. uh, market cap, $465 million. Currently trading 17 times earnings. Price, um, let's see, EV to sales is 0.3. 10-year median margins, 11.5 for EBIT. Um, EV to free cash flow, 6.6 .6 times. Um, and then the 10-year median returns for return on equity and return on vested capital definitely are high. Return on equity got 23% and return on vested capital 28%. 10-year CAGR for revenue, 6%, going from $593 million in 2010 to about a billion in 2019. And then free cash flow has also grown about 8.2% over the past 10 years. Um, so yeah, it looks pretty predictable. Uh, this actually looks like something maybe if it was trading a little bit cheaper on a PE basis that we'd want to take a little bit more of a look at. But any thoughts on the company? Yeah, the problem. So I don't know. It's retail, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know a ton about it. I know historically that I think it's business is model it, the way it would describe itself. Is it play against sports and stuff like that? It's, uh, do you know Dick Sports? Yeah. Okay. So what Dick Sports is to like a metro area like Dallas, I think Hibbit would serve that purpose in a very rural area, presumably one that doesn't have a very big Walmart. Um, so here you get some companies like Academy and Dix and things that you would never put in places that are so small that the biggest retailer, that almost the only retailer is Walmart. So I think Hibbit's idea is to be in small towns and things like that. The only places that I recognize it from are in places that are outside of metro areas. Um, if that's true, then maybe it's somewhat insulated from other kinds of issues that would hit the sporting goods companies uh, for retail stuff. Um, it's a retailer. It's not something that we would ever buy. Uh, you can see there the return on capital has uh, declined quite a bit. It's been a very bad time for the last few years for this kind of industry. Um, it's cheap, and I can see why people would be attracted to it, uh, but it's retailing. I don't understand it very well. If... if uh, you know stuff about retail. This is one that I would focus in on. We almost never invest in any retail things, and this would definitely be one I would pass on. Yep, got it. Next most overlooked stock in the world, ticker FB, <laughs> Facebook. Okay. Come on, laugh a little bit. Market cap, $460 billion. 
currently trading 31 times earnings, EBITDA sales 8.2, 10 year median margins for EBIT 45%. Um, it's currently trading at a 35 times EV to free cash flow. Revenue has gone from 1.9 billion in 2010 to 55 billion in 2018. Incredible growth. Yeah. Incredible growth. So Facebook, any thoughts on the company? You would know more about Facebook than I would. So first of all, I would associate Facebook with Facebook, but Facebook is also what else? Instagram. Okay. Um, WhatsApp. Okay. Yeah, stuff like so that. So things that people use that are younger people, whereas they don't really use Facebook as far as I can tell. Maybe younger people use Facebook. The only younger no. people that I know don't use Facebook. Yeah, not a lot of people so, use Facebook. I would um, say younger generation. Yeah. So I don't know anything about any of these things, so I wouldn't be qualified to answer it. I, when Facebook went public, I was working someplace where someone uh, really used Facebook and liked it and wanted to own it, and she didn't know a lot about um, sort of the uh, stocks and things. And people said, yeah, oh, that's don't buy that. It's an IPO or whatever. And I said, um, you know, looking at it, the economics of it should be that it's like a TV station, like a local TV station that covers the world. And um, if it, if that happens, that it's still the dominant um, source for all that stuff, that's what the economics will be. And what I'm looking at now is exactly that. This looks like a dominant local TV station. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the gross profits and things, it... it <sighs> It's possible, looking at this, they might be a little sloppy on expenses. I think they probably are a little sloppy. Because um, given the margins and things here and the contribution, they may be overspending on a bunch of things at headquarters. A 10-year media margins for free cash flow, 36%. Yeah, but if Capital Cities was running it, they'd make more money off of it, I think. Interesting. I mean, that's not... I mean, we, ha we own a stock that has that kind of margin. Yeah. Um, given the scale and what it has, I think... But I think that about Google, too. I think Google's sloppy. But um, they both uh, aren't making as much money as you'd expect from the the free cash numbers in terms of the contribution that they get to the top line. I mean, you can see there like what their EBIT numbers are and things like that, what their margins are. They I don't know what they spend on, but I think they probably have projects and stuff that just don't produce value. That would make the most sense to me. I. To me, looking at this, I wouldn't be surprised if you could have 10%, if your free cash flow margin could be 10% um, uh, of sales higher. I really think that your free cash flow margin could be closer to 40 to 50% than to be 35% or whatever it is now. Interesting. Um, I, this is not a stock that we'd ever buy. It's uh, not overlooked, obviously. Um, in terms of price, the rough that's the rough thing. If you're talking about eight times sales, you can't really afford to pay more than that for something. So it may do as well as anything else. It doesn't look cheap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And um, what's interesting is, is that Facebook, they bought Instagram, I think, for about a billion uh -huh. And Instagram itself is probably worth, I don't know, it's probably been a hundred bagger for them. I mean, for real, I mean, that's like one of the most popular Same with Google. social media. I mean, Google uh, doesn't break it out, but Google would be having lots of problems in the future if they didn't own YouTube. Yeah. So they Got both it. succeeded with that. Yeah. Um, next ticker, MO, Altria Group. Um, it is currently trading at a PE of 50 times. Uh, it's got an $89 billion market cap. Uh, let's see, EV to sales 5.8, 10-year median margins on EBIT, 43%. Um, 10-year median margins for free cash flow, 22.8%. It's got a 10-year CAGR on revenue of 2.1%, going from $16.8 billion in 2009 to about $19.6 billion in 2018. Return on equity, uh, 107% is the 10-year median returns. Mm -hmm. And the re return on invested capital, 32.3% over the past 10 years. Um, return on equity, obviously, that's in pretty big, um, assuming that's uh, all correct. Uh, free cash flow 10-year CAGR, 5.8%. Obviously, they're in uh, the tobacco manufacturing business. 
So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and if you want to see what I was saying about Facebook maybe being sloppy, uh, Altria gets about the same operating margins with, what, 20, 25% lower gross profit margins than Facebook. So Facebook manages to use 20% of sales somewhere else in the company that we don't know what that is. Yeah, um, yeah. the company's too expensive for us, uh, just in terms of the risks of it. So it uses debt, and in terms of the risks, there are risks that it won't be around forever. Um, I just think that would we be interested if it was trading at half the price that it is today? Uh, maybe. But half the market of uh, enterprise value that's trading at today, which would be less than half the market cap. Um, you know, obviously we don't buy stocks that aren't overlooked, and this isn't an overlooked stock, but I just mean in terms of the free cash flow and stuff like that, your free cash flow yield that you're getting here is a mid single digit one. Whereas I think you need more closer to like a 10% one mm-hmm. for this kind of business. Um, so yeah, I would probably pay lower EV to sales on Altria than I would on Facebook, which is fine because it's trading at lower EV to sales. But yeah, I wouldn't buy this stock unless it was like 50% cheaper. Uh, but again, I think it's fine. I don't think you could lose money long-term in either Altria or Facebook. Got it. Next ticker, UHAL, Americo Inc., U-Haul, uh, market cap $7.2 billion, currently trading about 20 times earnings, EV to sales 2.6, 10-year median margins of EBIT 18%, and we get a 10-year CAGR of about 7% with a 98% uh, 10-year CAGR on EPS, which we could look at that. Um, EV to free cash flow, assuming this is right, is negative 11 times. Um, thoughts on the company? Have you ever looked at it? Yes. Uh, you... Uh, brought it up to me the first time of anyone bringing it up to me, actually, because I think they had a thing where their CEO said that they would respond to uh, contacting them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Their CEO said that if any, I don't, I don't know if he meant shareholders or just people that operationally had questions from him, he wanted them to be able to get in contact with him. So he has a cell phone, a public cell phone mm-hmm. number that's out, kind of like my cell phone number, yeah, which I'm going to have to change you, yeah. eventually. <laughs> um, but I texted it one time asking if he could sent over like 10 years of annual reports and yeah. he didn't respond, but he read it. He had his, his, his yeah. read things on and, uh, um, and then, uh, you know, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later in my mailbox were about, I think seven years of uh, U-Haul annual reports. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I've, it's a family business. That's been, they were one of the first ones to pretty much uh, one way, you know, moving and be able to drop off your, mm-hmm. your, the, the trailer or the truck at you know different u-hauls and stuff yeah and it's quite a brand name uh and in a lot of different places i've we rented one recently yeah well i've uh <laughs> been there twice recently yeah. because you moved for office stuff and i moved to my apartment That's too right. so we moved an office and an apartment yep. um yeah it it's incredibly cyclical that's the difficult thing about a business like this so it's incredibly cyclical and then you also have the um the requirements that you have in terms of the uh assets and stuff like that if so memory serves right if you read any reports on this company it's mm-hmm. always about i think them converting to a reit or something along those okay. lines the real estate to a reit all right but that's i don't think that's happened obviously and i've been hearing about that for five years six years yeah so we have 20 year numbers down from us or 20 year graph i should say and uh, that graph shows me that they made no money in the 2000 recession and they made no money in the 2008 recession now that's nice that they're making lots of money now but what concerns me when that happens is that people are always going to be using the normal numbers of the the good years or whatever so what they've made these last you know 10 years or uh as if that's going to be what the return on capital is going to be long term 
So the return on capital here, we're seeing is like 10% or something, return on equity, maybe 20%. But that's actually a 10-year median number, which doesn't include either of the recessions in the 10 years prior, which means that the 10-year numbers from before that were much, much worse, which is okay. But if you're paying a price to book of about two for something that only earned a 20% return on equity the last 10 years, then you have to remember that actually over the last 20 years, the number's much worse. And because of the way compounding works, you'd be significantly dragged down by those years of almost no uh, returns. So I would say, um, because of the economic cyclicality, I think it's very easy to think that you should buy this now, uh, when in reality, uh, you need to be aware of uh, what it would be over a very long time, like 20 years or something, the cycle of what it earns. It looks like it earns good enough returns, uh, strong returns, in normal economic times, but there will be a recession every you know 10 years or less. And so that would be my concern. I think the price is probably a bit high for something unless you're just really sure that you're not going to have a recession. Um, but like you said, there might be other things, other ways of unlocking value and everything. It, this is another one that seems very, very safe to me. I mean, it just seems uh, that this is going to be something that, you know, um, Facebook is likely to be leading in its field. Uh, Altria is likely to be leading in its field in 10 years or whatever. So is U-Haul. But I just don't know that the price is cheap enough that you're going to get better returns betting on a leader in any of those industries than you are betting on any of the other companies in it. I feel the price on all of them is a bit high compared to what they're going to accomplish over the next 10 years. Uh, I don't think you'll lose money on them, but I, I think it's a bit pricey. Yeah. Okay, next ticker, CTHR. We will pull that up right now. CTHR, Charles and Colvard. Um, let's see, $41 million market cap, current PE about 18 times, EBITDA sales 0.9. They have a 10-year median margin of negative 3.7%. We can see what's done recently, though. Uh, last year looks like the first year that it was positive since 2013 at 7%. Uh, return on equity, negative pretty much all across the board. EV to free cash flow 60 times. Um, are you familiar with this company? Yeah, so we know that they do something with diamonds. I think a long time ago that they were a net net. I don't know if that's always been true or frequently been true. Um, there's some things that are interesting here in the numbers that I'm seeing, which is great for you know a podcast to be saying this to people. But uh, what I'm seeing is that the uh, free cash flow margin is sometimes positive when the EBIT margin isn't. In fact, using certain calculations here on the averages that they use, they sometimes come up with an average that's positive for free cash flow but not for EBIT. So that already tells you that something interesting is happening there, probably having to do with diamond inventories. Uh, the other thing that I'm seeing is that although EBIT means that they lost money in a lot of years, gross profit is normal for a jeweler. 47.5% is a pretty normal level for a jeweler for, for selling diamonds. So it might be that they're just subscale or something like that. Uh, market cap is pretty low, 40 million. So it could be something that they need to grow a bunch to be more successful. Or it could also be something where the um, cash accounting uh, is different from what we're seeing here on Gap. They may not really be losing money in as many cases as we think they are because they might be converting more. Um, the free cash flow might be, they, they may have free cash flow when they don't have earnings. And we have a 10-year CAGR revenue of uh, 8.2%, going from $8 million in 2009 to about $32 million in 2019. Yes. I would also caution very, very strongly on this one. I think you should look only at gross profit and ignore revenue. Why is personally. that? Well, if it has to do with diamond pricing moving over time, then I don't think it's an advantage to a company to, buy, to pay more to buy diamonds to sell them for uh, no more gross profit. So I think only growth in gross profit is important. So let's look at the gross profit number there um, and see over time what it's been doing. So uh, that is that number to me makes more sense. So, so we have 5 million in yeah. 2009 and it goes up to 15 million in 2019. 
Right. But it, it rises till about 2013, at which point it drops significantly. Yeah, yeah. And then it starts to slowly inch back to where it is now. Yeah, it's for everyone. now being the same as about five years ago with two big drops in between, right? For everyone listening, in 2009, like I said, it was 5 million and it rose uh, all the way to 14 million in 2013. And then it dropped eight to 8 million, then 7 million, and then started to rise again from 2016 to 2019 of 9 million to 15 million. Right. So if I was going to put on my speculators cap here, we're not going to buy this stock or anything. One thing I would look for is I want a year where there's a really terrible gross margin. So I actually like it if this company has a bad gross margin in some year. See, the long-term problem with it might be that it has insufficient scale and stuff so that its operating margin isn't good enough, right? That could be a concern as like a long-term business owner of it that you'd be worried about. But the gross margin is a temporary thing, but the stock might over-respond to gross margin stuff, might over-respond to diamond pricing. So I would, as strange as it sounds, I wouldn't look to buy it in a year in which the PE is really low or something like that. Instead, or even the EV to sales stuff, I would look at can I buy it at a, a year in which it has really poor gross margins and then kind of look at a more normalized basis but i'd avoid buying the stock in any year in which gross margins are really strong i have no idea by the way if that's worked because i don't have a stock chart in front of me but i just would warn people that if you see like for instance this stock let's do this this stock had really strong gross margins around 2010 or something like mm-hmm. that yeah, pull up a chart. so yeah pull up a chart so i can see that so um I would be cautioned that some people might get pulled into the stock when they shouldn't be, when gross margins are strong in diamonds, and then they might um, get out of it in years when it's not. So yeah, so it starts to rise in 2010. I don't know, that that might have been a fine time to buy it, but you see the big drop off after like 2014 or whatever, and that was a period of pretty strong gross profit growth, and then it declines there. So you know, learn about the business and stuff like that, and look for a time in which there's a temporary hit to it um, for like poor gross margins and stuff that are some sort of cyclical thing. This seems very cyclical to me. You might want to focus mostly on like price to book, but even that could be tricky. But probably price to book and look cyclically for a year in which gross uh, margins aren't that great. That's what I would say. That would be a good time to start. Got it. Next ticker, OMC, Omnicom Group. There is a write-up on the stock that Jeff wrote for Singular Diligence on the Focus Compounding website. Use the podcast promo code to get $10 off of the subscription price. Market cap, $17.2 billion. Uh, it's currently trading 13 times earnings. EV to sales is 1.3. And then we have a 10-year median margins on EBIT of 12.7%. Uh, 10-year CAGR on revenue, 1.4%, going from $11.7 billion in 2009 to about $15.2 billion in um, 2018. Free cash flow has grown uh, over the past 10 years uh, as from a CAGR of 2.6, and it's currently trading EV to free cash flow of 12.7 times. So Omnicom's company we've talked about before. I've said many times before that I would love to buy it at like 65. And the, I, I should say their median returns are incredible. Return on equity, 10-year median returns, 27.5%. Uh, it's been very, very strong. Yeah, and that's including Goodwill and stuff. I mean, the based on uh, tangible stuff, their returns would be excellent. I mean, they'd be almost infinite. Um, but if you just look at, like, say, return on equity or something like that, right, what's the worst year that we're seeing? And this includes intangibles on this in the last 10 years. It looks it's, like uh, 2009 was 18.8%. Okay. Yep. So it's not destroying value ever. And it's generally paying out some dividends and buying back stock. Um, the problem is that growth has just dried up completely for these big ad agency holding groups. And I, I call them that, that they're ad agencies. In reality, they say they're marketing uh, communications, whatever, corporate communications things. They do do a lot of other things, but they provide a bunch of different services to very big, um, a, a lot of, in terms of how much they make, a, a lot of it is from very big clients, like S&P 500 type clients. 
um, who have multiple relationships with them for all sorts of things from doing PR and stuff to different brands in their group, which includes, you know, buying the ads and stuff, but also includes the creative work and all those sorts of things. So it's basically like giant ad agencies. Uh, Omnicom actually owns a few different ad agencies uh, because it's bought them up over time. And also some companies own multiple ad agencies to avoid conflicts of interest so they can take two or more clients in the same industry that mm-hmm. directly compete. High customer retention rates? Very high customer retention rates. I love the business. Very uh, high quality. It's not as good as it was when I wrote it up, though. Why and is that? I don't think it's as good as when we talked about it a little while ago. I think some things have changed in advertising that have made it harder for these companies to have as much power in the relationship. Um, the same thing in like when people ask about big food brands and stuff like you know Heinz or something like that. I just think that they're not in as good a position uh, versus the big supermarkets and the, versus like Costco and Walmart and stuff is what I really mean. And I think here, uh, in terms of bargaining power and stuff, some things have declined. I think there's some greater transparency and pricing of some things and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, for online stuff. I mean, it gets complicated, but basically, um, I know that you haven't seen the show, but Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point in Mad Men, which is uh, covering the 60s periods so of the 1960s for ad agencies, someone's showing somebody around and, and says basically, you know that the creative aspect of it, which is most of what's covered in that uh, show, is just a loss leader to get people in the door so that we can get them to buy uh, ad space and that we really make all our money on the commission. On sure, that, yeah. You know? And the media buying stuff. And Omnicom has a huge media buying operation. And uh, while things are a little different in how they charge for everything, there's some truth to that. And I think that increased transparency on certain things is problematic for them and that's sort of some things have gone more towards like a um uh more like an exchange kind of thing almost more uh, the whole things that we talk about facebook google stuff like that um some digital things uh, have made a greater focus on certain quantitative things and stuff that um I think has made it a little bit more difficult for these companies to increase their revenue over time. I'm skeptical of their ability to do that as high as I thought it was in the past. So given that, I don't know that they can really increase their revenue much more than just like inflation over time. And um, that's tough. We're not at a low point in the ad cycle. Uh, it's not that cheap. Uh, but if it was like 20% cheaper, I would say it's a great one for everybody to buy right now. If we enter a recession at some point, it might be attractive then. Um, I think that you want to buy it at around one-time sales. I still think it would be great at one-time sales. Yeah, that's you know? what you have always said about the company. Yeah. Even and I, to be honest, about the podcast in the past. although I'm not talking about like I'm excited by it compared to other options and equities, if I was managing billions of dollars, I'd own it. Definitely. So, Got yeah. it. Okay, last stock we will talk about today. United Breweries Co. ticker CCU, three point four billion dollar market cap, currently trading about eight. I'm sorry, eight times earnings. EBIT sales one point four. Ten uh, year median margins for EBIT fourteen point eight percent. EBIT free cash flow eight point five. So that's like what eleven percent free cash flow yield. Ten uh, year CAGR on revenue eight point five percent, going from one point five billion in revenue in two thousand nine. To 2.5 billion in 2018. 10-year um, median returns for return on equity looks pretty um, uh, pretty strong, 15.2 percent, and then return on invested capital 13.3 percent. Uh, it says it's in the food, beverage, and tobacco manufacturing industry. Okay, so um, I've actually never heard of this company. Okay, you get a business description. Uh, I have some some things are sticking out to me right away. So it's got a beta of 0.27. Let's see. What's the dividend on it? Uh, currently, for dividend, what 3.2%. country is this in? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Colombia. So yeah. it's South America. Yeah, I, yeah, just South America in general. Uh, it's generally just South America. Produces and sells alcoholic and non-alcoholic yeah. beer. Yeah, as well as distributes. Uh, let's see, soft drinks. Mm-hmm. 
juices, sports okay. and energy drinks, iced tea. And they're headquartered in, in, uh, in Chile. Uh, if we look at the numbers, there's some things that stood out to me right away. So gross margins look like we, what you'd expect for a brewer, right? Okay, you see the gross margins you've got in front of you. So you can see the gross margins would have what you'd 53. expect. 53.6%. And a high degree of stability, right? Yeah. But then what I'm noticing is that you have this operating margin thing where the operating margin has been trending downward through a large part of that period, whereas I don't see a lot of that drop off in the gross margin. So if you look, you're seeing the, the gap between that, everything that's being spent on SG&A and all that sort of stuff, uh, to be pretty wide in some years, which, like, for instance, here we have a year where they have... Um, uh, let's see what's happening here. They have about a 52% um, gross margin, right? And then a 13% operating margin, which isn't that different. That's what, um, yeah, that's the same. So they basically the gap is the same as their gross margin was in 2009 versus an operating margin of like 17%. So we have slightly lower operating margin over time, which is okay, but I'm not seeing any, um, uh, I'm, I'm not seeing any economies of scale here. So that's a bit concerning. I don't know if this is a currency reporting issue because we're looking at this and it's saying reporting currency is the USD. I don't know what that's all about. Um, you've had a really big increase in revenue over time, uh, although you have in the last five years, but you had a really big increase in revenue in the first five years where I don't see any increase in um, yeah, it's been declining in economies of scale there. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, my concern about that is that, look, this isn't a huge company, right? If these numbers are right, then the, that company was a $1.5 billion revenue company that went to um, two point something, you know, five years later. And yet when it did, I, I see some improvement in gross margin, right? But I don't see any improvement in operating margin. So I don't know what that's all about. Um, if that's true, then I'd be cautious because uh, the, if you're not getting increasing economies of scale, then you need to get a good enough price right now. Uh, from what we're seeing, though, the price is fine. So the price is fine, and the industry is obviously an industry that you'd want to be in, and uh, it seems fairly cheap compared to anything that I know of in those industries. So I don't know enough. What you need to know is like retail volume. So what's important with these sorts of things is you need to go and get the actual sell-through, sell the actual sales that are happening at the retailers. That's very important. You know, the stock will respond too much to like how many volumes are being shipped of things. Mm -hmm. But you want to know at actual liquor stores and stuff how much is being sold. Is it a couple percent higher this year than last year for their major brands and things like that? And there should be ways to find that out either in the company's own reporting or that there's ways to find that out um uh that, that there's information about in those countries so uh overall it looks very reasonably priced it has wonderful economics and stuff um so i don't see a problem i don't see real big declining things here i'm just seeing that growth hasn't really uh, in increased their uh profitability levels so it's fine that they're growing but i would treat it as like a mature growth uh, uh company you know almost like a you know, a Coca-Cola or something like that, mm -hmm. not looking at it as something that, that could grow a lot faster. But the price is very attractive if these numbers I'm seeing are right. So, yeah, it's definitely one that... You'd want to learn a little bit more about? Yeah, everything about it so far looks good. Other than the fact that it's not overlooked, it's something we look at. Yeah, Got it, got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much um, for uh, if you asked a or sent in a, a stock for us to look over. We are going to be doing this a lot. So if you want uh, to keep an eye out for um, a time when I tweet that we are going to be doing this segment, definitely follow me at Focus Compound. If you're watching me on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. That helps spread the word. And then, of course, a video or a podcast review goes a long way for us on the podcast app on your iOS device. Advice. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself. We will see you in the next podcast. Take care. 
Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.